On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we bring back Chris Webb, one of the foremost authorities on Big Ten baseball, to preview the Terps and the conference as a whole. Plus, a roundtable discussion between myself, Connor Newcomb, and Joe Catapano, where we preview Maryland's season, make some predictions for the Terps, and preview the first series of the year at Tennessee starting February 16th. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Justin Galanti. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 45 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. This is the January 2018 edition. And guess what? We are just a few weeks away from the Maryland baseball season getting started down in Knoxville against the Tennessee Volunteers. If you've been following our countdown on our Twitter and Facebook pages, you know just how close first pitch is. Now on this episode, we have a fun chat with Chris Webb, who we've had on the podcast before, does such a good job covering the Big Ten, and we'll talk to him about everything that's going to go on in the conference this season. And then a little bit later, we'll predict some things for Maryland season, and we'll preview that first series against Tennessee. But first, here's our chat with Chris Webb. We are now joined by a recurring guest on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, Chris Webb, the lead writer at 10innings.com, covering all things Big Ten baseball. Chris, how's everything? Good. It's the first day of team practice here, uh, late January, and here in Columbus, it's 55 and sunny, so I got to hop over to Ohio State, uh, see some of their guys, ch- catch with some scouts, and ready to go for the big or for the college baseball season. Yeah, first practice here in Maryland as well. Not quite as nice weather-wise, but they are getting uh, going with practice as we speak right now. As we get into this chat, uh, we'll get into the Big Ten as a whole, but I think because this is a Maryland-centered podcast, let's start with the Terps, and let's start back in June and July. I mean, here in College Park, people that go to Maryland, people that follow Maryland that are kind of in you know, our own little bubble, if for lack of a better term, when John Sheff left to take the job at Virginia Tech, it was a foregone conclusion, at least in my mind and a lot of other people's mind, that Rob Vaughn would just get the promotion to head coach. Was that the way it was looked at nationally? And then what was the reaction when Coach Vaughn officially got the job? Yeah, you, you hit that in the head right there. Hit that in the head of the nail right there as well. Um, there was no doubt, talking to Big Ten coaches, talking to national media, nat, um, coaches outside the region, there's so much respect for Coach Vaughn and his energy, his mentality, the way he recruits that it was a no-brainer that he would get elevated and become the head coach. And once it's once it happened, it was just like, oh, well, there's not going to be a fall off from Maryland or all that. He's just going to keep that ship moving, keep that engine roaring. And um, and also, there's a lot of excitement. You know, he's one of the good guys in the game, and people just genuinely enjoy talking to Coach Vaughn and picking his brain and interacting with him. So it was pretty much a slam dunk no-brainer for Maryland and that now that he is the official head coach it's just one of those thoughts like you know watch out you know Maryland's still gonna stay at the top of the Big Ten be a regional force year after year. Now expectation wise for the Terps this year uh, they obviously lost a Brian Schaefer Big Ten pitcher of the year you lose a high draft pick in Kevin Smith you lose your closer in Ryan Selmer a few other guys but there are a lot of returners so before we get a little bit more into the details of this 
in sort of a blanket statement, what's your expectation for Maryland this year? You know, I, I'm not going to say this just to be a, you know, a friend of the show. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I, I talked to coach Vaughn this morning and I had this thought like, you know, Indiana's getting a lot of attention to the big 10 and deservedly so with the players they bring back and maybe we're getting them later. But I thought there was no reason why Maryland can't be viewed as maybe equal favorites, if not just outright favorite where, yeah, you do lose a big 10 pitch of the year. Um, you do lose Kevin Smith, but I mean, gosh, look what you bring back, you know, with Bloom and Blom, uh, you go around the diamond and Jankarski, uh, Costas, Nick Dunn, you know, Asia League can step in there at shortstop. It just seems like this is a team that, yes, there's some big holes to replace, but what's returning, there's a more than enough to be there at the top of the Big Ten and then cont- and compete for a championship. What do you think the ceiling is for this team? And to get to whatever that ceiling is, what really needs to go right? I mean, at least in my head, and I, I mean, I don't know better than anyone, but in my head, uh, Nick Dunn at Maryland needs to be the Nick Dunn that people have seen on Cape Cod the last two years. And if right. that happens, Maryland's going to be in a great spot. What are your thoughts? You know, um, as far as ceiling, I, again, this, it's not just to, you know, praise, you know, the program, but just what you look at what's on paper, this could be a team that really contends for a national seed you know, where you're hosted to a region. And once that happens, you know, you're doing the door, you're on the doorstep of Omaha. And the reason I believe that is you have two guys, they're in the really two co-aces. You have, you know, Blom and Bloom who can win every single weekend with those guys. I and mean, those guys have the capability to go six, seven innings every time out, eight, a complete game, possibly, you know, um, Bloom, more of the Apollo senior uh, commands the, the ball really well. Blom has the, the ace stuff. Um, and as Coach Vaughn talked to him earlier, he said, you know, we, we have two Friday night guys. It's just, do you want to go with the guy with the, the most raw stuff and the best stuff, or do you want to go with the guy who has that consistency, that track record? But either way, once you start having two pitchers who can win on Friday and Saturday, however they go, on top of, you know, Nick Dunn being perhaps uh, the Big Ten's top positional prospect, Marty Costas coming off a 13-home run year, uh, Jen Karski continuing to get better, being a force there, um, AJ Lee showing two-way ability. They expect Kevin Bionic to maybe be the Bionic of two years ago, see a step forward from Justin Morris. And all of a sudden you, you have an offense that can complement two dominant or two potentially dominant pitchers. And you do that, you got a chance to win every single weekend. I mean, that's from February 16th all the way down to a super regional. So as far as true ceiling, I mean, this could be a year where things come together where Maryland, you know, there may not be that attention right now, but all of a sudden, I wouldn't be surprised if come mid-March they're ranked and then get that ball rolling and all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is a top 15 team worthy of hosting a regional. And, you know, once the NCAA tournament comes comes along, has the roster um, makeup to make a, a serious and deep run. Now, unfortunately, we can't always be positive uh, here. So <laughs> let, let's, be re- let's be a little bit negative for one second. Uh, what do you think could hold Maryland back this year? For, for me, it's, it's the health is always a wild card, um, but it's, it's just the pitching depth. So, yes, you have the number one, number two guys who can go deep into games for you. Uh, right now, there's still a kind of, a, I think, a, a back and forth battle between uh, the freshman Mark DeLora as far as who can be um, a Sunday starter. Um, but there isn't the depth, I guess, um, that you would want to see in the bullpen. Um, you do have John Murphy um, there as, as a good arm. But there maybe isn't that, all right, we know who our uh, setup guy is. We know who can turn to for a really tough situation or lefty, you know, get our setup guy, then our, our closer, um, as much as you do have those two frontline guys. So that would be the only concern if one weekend 
both guys exit after five innings. You start to really dig into your deep bullpen. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of reliance on some freshman arms um, in that situation. A lot of guys who haven't been in that position uh, where that can cause some trouble. So if there's one area, because I mean, at the offense, I think there's power. I think there's speed. There's ability to get on base consistently. Uh, defensively, you know, you do lose Kevin Smith, that shortstop, who was a rock, and everything hit to him wasn't out. But I think offensively, defensively, there's enough there to be consistent week in and week out. It's just for me, the, the pitching depth is, is the question. And I think that may be the one hurdle. The one hurdle for Maryland. I think one guy that is sort of a wild card that Maryland fans are cautiously pretty optimistic about is Alec Tui, a grad transfer from Buffalo, who got hurt and right. struggled last year, but two years ago was tremendous there. Maryland had, I can't even put into words how much they benefited from getting Brandon Brandon Gum as a grad transfer last year. First of all. Um, what are you seeing around the country and how graduate transfers are changing college baseball? And then two, what does it do for Maryland to have a guy who's been in college as long as Alec Tui has potentially step into a starting rotation spot? You know, it's interesting. Um, and that's, I think, a, a really good point that, that is not discussed a lot. And here in the, the Big Ten, I think Michigan has been a really big uh, benefactor of, of grad transfers where I think it becomes really important if you have an unexpected draft loss where, you know, with the way recruiting is nowadays, it's so early in the cycle. You get so many sophomores in high school commit that if you do have an unexpected junior to get drafted, it's really hard to fill that void in recruiting high school players. Mm. And also at this point, it's hard to get a, even a quality JUCO. So if you can kind of survey the landscape, you have a great network where it's like, hey, this kid has an eligibility left. He's also been a two or three year um, performer at this college and maybe he wants to change the scenery. Uh, maybe he had an injury, just whatever reason. I think the grad, uh, transfer market has been really big and and unfortunately um in the case of Tui there with buffalo um you know they closed they started their program right we saw that effect happen um in, in north dakota in north dakota uh, miles lewis the senior out there mission came from north dakota he had a great impact year he was the the whack freshman of the year um and now you know he's at michigan doing really well uh, you know jake adams the nation's home run leader last year was set to go to north dakota they closed their program he goes to iowa and he has the year he has so you know, um, maybe on top of the grad transfer, just unfortunately we're seeing um, programs close here in college baseball. And um, I think you kind of look at that the same way. It's like, where can we go? Where, how can we maximize recruiting to bring in a really good player? And, yeah, more teams are becoming aware of the grad transfer market. How do you feel about Maryland's schedule this year? Looking at it on paper, uh, it doesn't look as strong as last year's schedule. And in a Big Ten, that's you know, not the best baseball conference in America, you think Maryland's going to have to just rack up a lot of wins to be able to potentially need an app. I mean, this is thinking way, way in the future. But, you you know, if you look at Maryland's schedule and we never know what's going to happen, it kind of gives the impression that they're just going to have to win a ton of games to get an at-large bid. How do you feel about the schedule? You know, um, I'm going to deviate from you just a little bit with there and I think some of that's just based off of the recent conversation I had with Coach Bond where, you know, he views it as this is their toughest schedule they've had in the Big Ten, you know, in, in his time there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is just coming down to the fact that they are on the road um, at Michigan. They're on the road at Michigan State, at Nebraska, the Big Ten champions, at Indiana. So right there, you're on the road. conference three teams in the regional. And all four teams at Michigan State should be viewed as two regional candidates. Um, we started the year at Tennessee, and they may be rebuilding, but they're still an SEC program. Stetson, East Carolina, maybe not the, the sexiest names, but, you know, they're quality programs, and as well as Bryant. You know, Bryant's been a power in that Northeast Conference. So 
they may not have the star power of an LSU um, having to do that tournament. I think at um, Clearwater a couple years ago with uh, Louisville and Ball State. But I think I think it's a it's a solid um, schedule. I mean, if we look back to last year, the sixth place team in the Big Ten, Indiana, they got a two C in the regional. So the, the Big Ten it may not still have that depth of the ACC and SEC, but yet remember the Big Ten has put five teams to regional to the last three years. The big the Pac-12 can't say that. The Big 12 can't say that. So there is that depth that we're seeing out of the Big Ten where if you finish in the top half, you're going to have a chance to get a position for a regional if you take you know um, care of business in the non-conference. And I have no doubt that, that Nebraska – I'm sorry, that Maryland can do that by having the likes of Nebraska, Indiana, felt the, the end of the schedule. Now looking at the conference as a whole, if you just look at preseason polls in terms of the entire country – uh, Indiana is the only Big Ten team that's receiving any kind of votes or any kind of love. They're pretty much ranked somewhere between 17 and 25 in every poll. So you touched on this earlier, but is Indiana the best team in the Big Ten going into the season? Um, personally, I, I I don't have as much trust in their pitching staff. You know, they do return a lot of pitchers, but. And maybe outside of Jonathan Stever, there's not a guy that I'm like, that's a guy who can give me seven innings, you know, be a workhorse, carry our team. Um, they do have a lot of options out of the bullpen, um, at the, and they can use the rotation, but they did so much Mitch and Match last year that don't really have a feel who can step up for them. Um, offensively, I think that's what's driving the conversation where this time last year, people are looking at Luke Miller, who's a draft eligible sophomore in the third baseman, as being a top five round draft pick. Um, Logan Sowers, the right fielder, has all the physical tools. So, they were expected to lose those two guys to the draft. Those guys weren't drafted, so they're back. So all of a sudden, people are thinking, you know, wow, Indiana has a really deep, loaded lineup. And they did return six starters out of their nine starters. But to me, there's a level of inconsistency with them. Um, you know, Luke Miller can hit the ball. He has as much raw power as anybody in the conference. Logan Sowers may be second behind him. But there's just a lot of swing and miss. There's a lot of inconsistency between those two players. Um, Matt Gorsh is a good player they have. He's going for first base to shortstop. Jeremy Houston, the shortstop, first base of center field for um, Gorski. Jeremy Houston, the shortstop, slick fielder, very consistent. But for me, I don't have as much trust in Indiana's one through nine as do Maryland's one through nine, to be honest. And I think in the Big Ten, you do have to be a physical team. As much people say, pitching defense wins championships. Here in the Big Ten, you also be able to hit the ball, drive the ball with consistency. So um, I can see why Indiana is liked. On paper, everything does look good. I just got to see maybe a little more before I can say that's one of the top 20 teams in the country. Um, with respect, you know, no one, who all is out there, but in the past, you know, where you had maybe Illinois 2015 or yeah, Indiana 2013 to 14, where you're kind of like, yeah, we can see that those are legit top 25 teams. Don't quite have that feeling for Indiana, uh, but you know, give them credit. They are, um, they do return a lot of players, a lot of talented players, and I don't think any coach in the Big Ten uh, will say it's unjustified. For me, I just think I got to see just a little more um, for Indiana as far as consistency, one through nine, in the weekend rotation, the bullpen. Yeah, last year Indiana was pretty inconsistent until the last, let's say, month, and then they got really hot uh, and, as you said, earned a two seed in a regional. Now, I know you're in Columbus. You mentioned that earlier, so I'll just give you the stage. Does Ohio State bounce back this year? I, I do think they bounce back. Now, how high that bounce is, it, they just need a, a lot to go well. Um, they have Ryan Fellner, who's right now being viewed as the top pitcher prospect in the Big Ten. No, it's a big power arm. You know, you stole, 98, 99. You stole that um, right out of my mouth with Fellner. I was going to get to that in a minute uh, because I, I got to see Ryan all summer. So before you continue with Ohio State, yep. uh, is Ryan Feltner going to start this year for Ohio State? 
Yeah, I, I think when you have the army that Feltner has, and just talking to Coach Bills earlier, like they're giving him every chance to be their starter. So they're positioned him to be the Friday guy. You know, he took the mound here in the first scrimmage, went three innings, still touched 93, 94, 95. Um, so they want him. They believe if you have that arm, he has to be in a position to go six innings. But he hasn't been that player in the past. Even as you saw him in the Cape, you know, he had a really good year in the Cape, but it was as a reliever. You know, he comes in, airs it out for an inning, maybe hits 97, 98. Um, I just don't, I don't, haven't seen the secondaries out of him that you see out of Brian Seifer, that you see out of a Tyler J. You know, these guys that have been the first round top five draft picks out of the Big Ten where Felder's being projected. I don't see the consistency in secondary pitches. So, um, but the hope is that it comes along. Um, he's a good athlete. The arm works. It's just that inconsistency. So, you know, that's how I view Felder. But in the big picture, they do need him to become that workhorse just because Ohio State, for me, there's just so many questions offensively. And last year, they had a big influx of JUCO transfers. The 2016 team that they had, you know, Ryan Dawson, Troy McGovern, Nick Stragate, just a really loaded team. All those guys were gone last year, so they had to fill some holes with JUCO transfers. Uh, they didn't step up and perform at the D1 level as expected, so uh, that's kind of still how they are right now. They believe that they're going to take a step forward, and I think they will. You see, you know, it's not uncommon to see JUCO transfers do a bit well their second year. Um, they're expecting that, and, you know, if Thunder can step up and be that ace, you know, that that's for me the, the big question, so I don't see Ohio State finishing 11th, you know, 10th in the Big Ten as it did last year. But there's too many question marks to say that's a title contender. Um, you know, I think there's probably about three or four teams in the mix somewhere between 6th and 10th, and I would put Ohio State in that mix. Yeah, I mean, watching Feltner all summer, he was the closer for the Bourne Braves on the Cape. Didn't give up a run the whole summer. He was an all-star. Right at the beginning of the year, he – decided his walkout song would be Cut You Down by Johnny Cash. And it was about as intimidating as anything I saw all summer long. Um, I'm going to go on record right now, and I don't know better than anyone else. I've said that time and time again on this podcast. But uh, Ryan Feltner is going to make a lot of money one day, and I don't think it's going to be as a starter. That's just going to be my prediction here, and we'll see if it manifests into anything. Uh, Three teams last year that surprised people in the Big Ten were Northwestern, Minnesota, and Purdue. Were those three feel-good stories legit? Um, I'd say yes, but in varying degrees, if that makes sense. Where I'll start with Minnesota. I'm just going kind of top to bottom there, those, those three in the standings, where, you know, um, Minnesota, I mean, they were last year coming off of a Big Ten championship. You know, they were the champions 2016, so I don't think it was any fluke at all. Um, and this year, they return eight starters. And I think Minnesota's going to be a really good team again this year. Um, they do lose Lucas Gilbert, their Friday night ace. They lose Brian Glowacki, their All-American closer. So those are some two pretty big holes to fill. But up and down that lineup, they were as consistent of a team that I've seen all year, You know, regardless of conference. Um, you know, I saw a lot of Pac-12 teams. Got to see South Carolina and the SEC. The way that Minnesota had a, an approach, one through nine, with two strikes. And it wasn't the flashiest. And there wasn't a lot of home runs. Wasn't a lot of stolen bases, but they were just they were just wear you down by fouling off pitches and getting a pitch that they can square up and put in place. So, you know, I don't think Minnesota takes a step back. Um, you know, I think they're still right there competing for a Big Ten championship. So, um, moving on to Northwestern to finish sixth. Um, you know, that's I think in hindsight that's still a very underrated story. Just for years, Northwestern was at the bottom of the conference, and coaches, opposing coaches, felt like Northwestern always play hard. To be very short, you know, on talent. And there was there is some roster restrictions that Northwestern has that other programs don't have that hurts the depth and the talent. But you know, the way they went through last year, finishing 13 and 11 in the conference, nobody saw it coming. 
know, for them to finish runners up to make the tournament. You know, Joe Hoshite went on a tear that I haven't seen the Big Ten. I think he batted like 478 in the conference season. It was pretty much impossible to get out of the Big Ten tournament. Um, you know, it's so that's a good that's a feel good story where they do take a step back just because they do lose Joe Hoshite. You do lose Matt Hoffner as a four year starter for them. But I think when you get a coach like Spencer Allen, who does an incredible job of being high energy, but very, very buttoned up, very organized, very structured. You know, it's not mean or aggressive, but he expects a lot out of you. So if you match his energy with Northwestern's ability to always play hard, they may be short talent-wise, but they found a way last year to be more than competitive um, and, you know, and finish over 500 in the Big Ten. So um, I say that they're not a fluke just because I think that helps them build the foundation to go forward um, for under Coach Allen having a year like that. And then last time with Purdue, who finished eighth in the Big Ten, you know, it's just kind of similar to Northwestern, a change in culture. You know, Mark Wallace came in there as an assist from Oregon and similar North, similar Northwestern, not the most talented team, but Purdue did really well last year to eliminate the mistakes and not beat themselves. You know, and that goes so far in college baseball. But those you hear all the time, those strikes, deal with it. You're going to keep yourself in the, in the game. So, you know, they were more of a gritty team, a lot of hit by pitches, a lot of sacrifice bunts, a lot of first third plays where, things like that maybe overcame their raw ability. And I think that was just a reflection of Coach Wazikowski in his MO. He's a very aggressive guy. He won't be shy to tell you how it is and be blunt and say, hey, we just suck today. We got to do better. Um, and I think you're seeing a program like Purdue take more accountability than years past from each player up and down the lineup and doing what's necessary to get done. So, you know, I, I don't see Northwestern or Purdue having the years that they had. Um, I think there's more depth and more talent around the conference, but you'd have two coaches who um, are laying that are laying that foundation. And I don't think you're going to see either program return to their pre 2017, uh, I guess, uh, ways. Now turning to the big 10 tournament champions from last year, the Iowa Hawkeyes, I think there's one big question around this team and it's how do they replace Jake Adams? <laughs> you know, I, I don't, nobody replaces just Jake Adams. You know, and <laughs> regardless if you're, Florida and you're bringing these top five recruiting classes the year that he had just 20 I mean 20 home runs I think only Chris Bryant maybe with his 31 at San Diego has more of the BB core era and um just an offensive force but you know um you know I think Rick Heller is one of the best coaches in the country um and I've had other coaches say that where this time last year if you're Iowa you're like you know how do we replace Tyler Payton to a player or how do we replace Nick Rossetti how do we replace Joel Booker in center field felt like there were holes, and it's like, well, they had no problem doing that. So, again, this year, it's how do you replace Jake Adams? How do you replace Mason McCoy, their shortstop? Um, and for them, they're so in tuned with the JUCO market in Iowa. I mean, Ju- Iowa is a very JUCO-heavy state. And Rick Keller being an Iowa native, he knows the ins and outs of those programs, all those coaches where it seems like they just find a way to plug in guys. I mean, Chris Whalen came in last year, had a great year, was a tournament's most outstanding player. He's actually – on the shelf indefinitely. Unfortunately, he had a UCLA injury in his arm on scout day, but just a name like that. They just find guys who step in and fit their culture, fit their, what they're doing and find a way to produce. So, you know, I, you don't replace Jake Adams with one player. I think you maybe see three or four players step up um, with that. I, I think you see a really big year out of Robert Newstrom, their junior right fielder. You know, if Nick Dunn's not the big Ten's top prospect in the, in the field, a uh, Newstrom is, he can throw it. He can swing some power runs really well, gets on base, will hit for a high average. So I know a lot of scouts like him. You know, I, I like him a lot. So if he goes from maybe being like an eight home run guy to 
14 home runs, still gets on base, hits around 360, adds 15, 20 stolen bases. You know, that's one way. Um, they still got quite a few players coming back. Ben Norman was a freshman center fielder last year, had a great year. Expecting a lot out of it, Justin Jenkins. So it's going to take a team effort, and I think they may have the team that can do it, led by a coach who I have no doubt can get the guys in the right position to continue to take a step forward. Last year's regular season Big Ten champs were the Nebraska Cornhuskers, but they lose two starting pitchers. They lose Ben Miller. They lose Jake Schleppenbach. How does Nebraska fare this year? And unfortunately, I just learned that they also lose, they also lose their closer, Chad Lensman, yeah, to Tommy John this year. I, I saw that so, on Instagram about a week ago. Disappointing yeah, so for that's, Chad. So you, yeah, so you mentioned you lose two, you lose two stars in, in your rotation. And you know, also your center fielder, Jake Myers, as their Sunday started, also center fielder, leadoff guy. Yeah, you lose Lindsman. Um, yeah, it's 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 a lot to to replace, and I think maybe unlike Maryland, where you're like how do you replace Kevin Smith, um, Brian Schaefer? I don't think with Nebraska you have the, at least up to this point, you don't have the players who have performed at a high level over two or three years where you're like, oh, you know, well we got Bloom and Blom who can step in. I don't see that out of Nebraska. I see a lot of guys with with good roles. Um, Jake Hohenstee is a good arm, but I don't see him in the ace mode. Reese Eddins is another really good out of their bullpen. Just don't see him as an ace or a closer to replace Lundsman. Um, they just saw Scott Stryver back. You know, he's two years removed from the 16 home run year. Last year he started off slow, but ended up around 330. So, you know, he's a force. Um, and they got some good players around the infield. Angelo Altavilla is, is a really good player. He plays shortstop for third base. Uh, behind the plate, Jesse Wilkinson is going to be a three-year starter, a good catch-receiver guy who can give you some pop. So, you know, there's enough pieces for Nebraska to be competitive this year. Maybe contend for a top four spot. I just think one through 35, um, it's not quite there yet, especially when you lose what you lost on top of losing Lindsman for the year, unfortunately. So we talked earlier about Northwestern and Purdue being surprise teams in the Big Ten last year. In that mold, uh, do you see a, a surprise team this season that maybe doesn't win the Big Ten but, you know, can get to the tournament, maybe get a top five seed in the Big Ten tournament that people uh, aren't really looking at right now? I would say Michigan State would be your team. And I say that really being high in Michigan State every year. So like this year, I don't think Michigan State's a Big Ten champion contender. I think they're in that mix between four and six, four, maybe seventh place. But there's enough, more than enough depth there to make a run in the non-conference uh, to be in the position to be one of the, you know, win the Big Ten tournament or be in a position for an at-large. And you know, they're going to try to convert their closer, Riley McCauley, be a Friday night guy. You know, he's probably in the cave that maybe a pitcher that you saw to run it up 92, 94 miles per hour. Um, Jake Lowry, they still got back. It seems like he's been there forever, but he's another power arm that they have, senior right-handed pitcher. Ground the diamond, I mean, they got some studs out there. Marty Bikina showed a lot of pop this summer in the Cape Cod League. I think he had around eight or ten home runs. Uh, Danny Glees, another outfielder for them um, with uh, Bryce Kelly. So those two are making a really good outfield combo. Uh, uh, Rice Andos are slick filling shortstop. They still got Chad Ross Kelly, who's going on his fifth year. He's been just a really steady um, performer through his entire career. And they bring back Ethan Landon, who's been their Saturday starter the last two years. Um, Andrew Gonzalez was the Sunday starter last year as well. So they do lose Alex Troop, who was our Friday night ace and a good two-way player. But they got a lot back in the weekend rotation. They got McCauley transitioning to the rotation, some bullpen arms. So I think um, Michigan State may not have the – the, the big name recognition in college baseball may not be viewed as a Big Ten favorite, but I think there's enough talent there for them to be in the mix and racking up wins and racking up and rack up enough quality wins maybe in a position for NCAA at large berth. Now, 
I will preface this question by saying I'm about as biased on this as it gets because I spent the entire summer on the Cape and I go to a Big Ten school. But it seemed to me like the Big Ten had a really strong summer, especially on the Cape, where you had guys like Nick Dunn, Marty Costas, Robert Newstrom, Riley McCauley, Ryan Feltner, Chad Linsman, Luis Alvarado. Uh, I know I'm forgetting a ton of guys, but there were a lot of Big Ten players that made huge impacts on the Cape this summer. So where do you think the talent level is in this conference right now? It seems to me that it's as high as ever. Yeah, no, it is. And yeah, you just mentioned right there, I think seven players. And, you know, there was like a Will Tribe from Michigan who had a really good summer as well. So I think that's a good barometer to see where I think in years past, maybe have a player or two who do really well in the Cape and a player or two who can play anywhere in the country. But this year, as you mentioned, you know, there's quite a few guys. And even though there isn't that, you know, a Cody Sedlock where you're like, that's a first rounder, you know, maybe Ryan Fonda becomes that guy. Mm-hmm. But even though there's not that projected first round pick, I think there's more than maybe like a dozen players who you can see as top five, six, eight round draft picks who can play anywhere in the country. So, you know, just give a lot of credit to the Big Ten. Um, you know, the Big Ten Network has helped as far as the exposure and also the money that comes in where you get facility upgrades. You're getting coaches who are being paid among the best in the country. You know, assistant coaches come in and they're making um, the pay that is necessary to, to keep and retain quality assistant coaches. You're getting coaches come in who put a priority on recruiting and they're really doing a good job getting after it and identifying players, developing players. So, you know, the, the Big Ten's talent level, I mean, in depth, I mean, it's it's – as good as it's ever been. I mean, that doesn't really even hit on a player like maybe Juwan Harris at, you know, at, at Rutgers. You know, uh, last year, Penn State had a top six-round pick, Sal Biazzi, the right-handed pitcher. So, you know, I think everywhere you kind of see, you know, maybe a guy who has a good pro uh, future. And then as a whole, as a conference, you're saying, wow, you know, they're starting to really put together, you know, some quality draft picks and some, just a very quality collect- collection of big, uh, players. So let's do some preseason award guesses Big Ten freshman pitcher player of the year. Who are you thinking right now? Oh man, you're putting me on the spot. I know, uh, I know. You know what? Let me let me think about this for just a moment. Um, Big Ten freshman of the year. I'll start there. Um, I know that Minnesota has a two-way player, Max Meyer, who is gonna be kind of like a first baseman slash closer combo guy. Um, he was a 40, I think it's like a 35th round draft pick. A lot of attention has gone, has gone to him. Um, he'd be up there. I think I'm going to, I'm going to go with uh, Adam Proctor, Michigan State uh, catcher. He's just a physical specimen. He's like 6'1", 235, built like a brick wall. A lot of raw power out of his left-handed swing. So Adam Proctor, uh, Michigan State, my Big Ten freshman of the year. Pitcher of the year. You know, I, I think Maryland goes back to back. There's just a lot that I'd like out of Bloom. Um, it's not going to be the sexiest stuff. You know, Feltner, 10 times out of 10, is going to, you know, be the pick for the pros with what he can do with his arm, his velocity. But, you know, Bloom just knows how to win. He throws strikes, he eats up innings. You know, I could see him having a 105 inning, 2.12 ERA a year with 85 punch outs, 15, you know, walks. I mean, it's just silly numbers that he can put up being consistent, you know, if the health is there. So um, Proctor, Bloom, and then player of the year, I will go with – I, I want to pick Newstrom. Um, but, you know, I, I'm going to go with Marty said <laughs> I probably sound like a Maryland homer. but Play into the crowd. I like it. I, no, I just – I mean, look what he did last year. You know, 13 home runs, you know, maybe I think 10 or so doubles. Hit for a high average. I think this year – you know, I know last year um, 
the Terps stole like 101 bases. And I know Coach Vaughn has given those guys green light. So I think you see Marty a little more active on the bases. And I think you're going to see him stuff the stat sheet, stuff the, the box scores game in and game out. And really, you know, as I said previously, I think there's no reason why Maryland's not viewed as the favorite or co-favorites. And when you have, you know, a Bloom going, the Friday night guy, um, you have Marty, you know, in the three-hole there. Or actually, you know what, I take that back. Coach Vaughn said Marty's going to be leading off. So you can add a leadoff batter who's going to bat 345, get you 15 home runs, 30 extra base hits, 15 stolen bases. Like, who's leading the Big Ten champion? Like, I don't see how you don't pick that guy as uh, player of the year. So I'm going to go Proctor, Bloom, and Costas. So I think you just answered this, but your Big Ten champion is Maryland? Yeah, you know, that, that that's what I've decided on here in the last day, just really going through different rosters. Um, you're going to ask me for a one through four. It's going to be Maryland, Indiana, Minnesota, Nebraska. And after five teams made it to the NCAA tournament last year, how many will Mar- or excuse me, how many will the Big Ten send to the Big Dance this year? I will say it's going to be four, um, but I think instead of Nebraska in that mix, I will go with Michigan State as a sixth place wild card who has a really good non-conference run, enough RPI points to jump over Nebraska. So uh, Michigan State, Minnesota. Indiana, Maryland, your four NCAA regional teams out of the Big Ten. Well, sounds pretty good, Chris, as always. Thanks so much for giving us some of your time on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. I'm sure we'll have you back on throughout the year. If not, certainly when we get back to Omaha for the Big Ten tournament uh, this year. Last year it was at Bart Kaufman Field in Indiana. I'm certainly excited to see, well, in theory, you know, if Maryland gets there. Uh, I'm excited to see TD Ameritrade ballpark out in Omaha, but uh, we'll see you then and we'll keep in touch throughout the year. Absolutely. And, you know, I always want to make sure I give you guys credit. Um, you know, I know that it takes a lot out of being students to put together the production you guys do. And not only a production, but the quality produ- a quality production that you guys do. So, you know, um, you guys do an incredible job covering Maryland, giving credit to the Big Ten. You guys are really an asset to college baseball as a whole. So, you know, I, I will always take the time to speak to you guys whenever I can. And you guys are engaging. You guys are insightful. And um, it's always my pleasure. So I thank you for the opportunity. Well, thank you for the kind words. And I'll tell you what, this podcast Beats my stat homework any day of the week. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Justin. Our thanks to Chris Webb for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And now joined by my friends, Connor Newcomb. Joe Catapano, guys, how are we doing? Uh, we're excited for three weeks from the day of this recording to get the Maryland baseball season started. We're in a weird point right now because that time after winter break before baseball season, really excruciating. I want it to pass right now. I'm ready for uh, Tennessee. Well, I think everyone is ready for Tennessee, but let's let's have some fun here. Let's make some predictions for the 2018 season. Maryland had a lot of impre- impressive performers last year they had the big 10 pitcher of the year brian schaefer the big 10 freshman of the year tyler blome marty costas is first team all conference aj lee third team all conference the argument easily could have been made that zach jankarski needed to be somewhere in that mix and a lot of those guys are back and ready to go Uh, so let's just start with kind of your basic categories home runs last year marty costas and kevin smith tied for the team lead in long balls where are we going for the team lead in home runs this year? Connor, we'll start with you as the tallest member of this group. Thank you for that. And uh, 
I feel like we might have a sweep across the board with Marty Costas, but I'm going to go Marty Costas. I mean, he's got the most power on the team, at least from what we've seen. I mean, looking at practicing a little batting practice, Justin Vogt and Ty Friedrich can hit the ball a long way, but who knows really how many at-bats guys like that are going to get. You know Marty Costas is going to be in the lineup every single day for the Terps. 13 bombs last season for Marty. I assume he's going to hit somewhere between two and four in the lineup, get a lot of at-bats, and we'll see him leave the yard. I'm saying at least 15 homers for Marty Costas this wow. season. Wow, step up for the Houston Astros draft pick in 2017. Joe, what are you thinking? I'm also going Marty. No surprise here. He's the best power hitter in this lineup, um, even last year, too, with Kevin Smith leading with 13. Uh, the only name I feel like you can confidently say might be second or maybe be, maybe be able to eclipse Marty is A.J. Lee, and I know there was a lot of kind of poking fun at him last year when he went off for eight. Uh, because a lot of his teammates didn't think he had a lot of power. Uh, but he has some pop. He had eight last year, and I think that's the only name I would consider maybe being able to rival Marty Costas for the home run lead. Yeah, it seemed like last year a lot of what Maryland did kind of re revolved around the home run. That's a lot of the ways they scored, and I think the three of us would say that that's probably not the way things are going to go. It doesn't mean they will be any less potent offensively, uh, but they might score in different ways. Connor's first prediction was correct and that was that it's going to be a clean sweep across the board. I, I don't think there's any other answer you can go with other than Marty Costas. He's going to be the main threat in this lineup this year. Um, but uh, uh, do you guys agree with the concept that Maryland won't rely as much on the home run this year? I mean, I think, you know, you lose a guy like Kevin Smith, obviously, who also hit the 13 homers. Brandon Gum had five homers of his own for tied for fourth on the team. Madison Nickens hit five as well last year. The two of them obviously graduating after last season. And yeah, I think maybe the pop won't be in the bats as much. I mean, you're kind of relying on guys like A.J. Lee and Zach Jankarski in that lineup besides Marty Costas. And despite seeing Lee hit eight home runs last season, I don't really think that's his game. He's a guy who's going to hit for average, hit a lot of doubles. That's where he's at his best. And same with Jankarski, a big doubles hitter for this Terps team. But you know, you never know if they can get a little more power and hit some balls over the wall. They could be a power team, but I, I think you're right up and down the lineup, maybe not as much reliant on the home runs this year. No, I, I definitely agree with that, and Connor touched on the extra base hits. I think that's where this uh, Terps team is going to have to score their runs. Uh, Jankarski had 19 extra bases, extra base hits last year. Nick Dunn had 14, so just those two people combined had 30 doubles last year. So I think if they can find the gaps and down the lines, I think that's how they'll produce a lot of their runs and have a lot of their big innings, not so much with the home run. And the Terps saw that huge spike in stolen bases last year, and a lot of guys that were able to steal bags effectively are back, Jankarski and Lee. And I think someone we're forgetting about is Will Watson maybe a little bit, who's got some long ball power, dealt with injuries down the stretch last year, but he's expected to be a big part of Maryland's lineup. And then you can also uh, look Maybe Justin Morris behind the plate can show the pop he did at the end of the year last year. And we all saw what Kevin Biondic did the entire fall. So he's somebody that could be interesting, potentially at least, in the power game. Now let's go to average, batting average. Uh, last year the Terps had a number of guys hit over 300. There was one guy who didn't end up hitting really all that close to 300. But I think he's going to take... Uh, this batting title for the team this year, and I'm going with Nick Dunn, purely with what people saw this summer with the Brewster Whitecaps. He led that team to a CCBL title. He was all Cape Cod team league, whatever they call that thing, you know, 
but he was basically all conference for the Cape League. Uh, he was tremendous, and he was one of a few guys that I saw this summer that I said he's a very, very difficult out right now. So I think Nick Dunn ends up leading the team in batting average, closely followed by a Jankarski, and then maybe A.J. Lee third. Now, I was in between. I like the Nick Dunn pick, but I think it was in between Costas and Jankarski. But a guy I saw more of was Zach Jankarski this summer with the Bethesda Big Train, and that dude just set the world on fire, especially against some good pitching in the Cal Ripken League. A lot of those guys who will pitch in the Cal Ripken League then for a couple weeks at the end of the season head up to the Cape Cod League. But Zach Jankarski was hitting at the top of that lineup as well, where I'm sure he'll be for the Terps in that number one slot again where he was all of 2017. And I think Zach Jankarski, all he did was hit last season. I think that continues in his final years at Terp. Yeah, I had to agree with Connor. I don't like to agree with Connor this much. <laughs> uh, Usually not a good idea to agree with Connor. Yeah, Jankarski had a great year last year, and I can't count the number of times I felt that the first at-bat of the game for the Terps was a, J a Zach Jankarski single up the middle. He was the uh, spark plug for the team, and I think that will continue and carry over this year. The other name I was maybe going to consider was A.J. Lee. Uh, he hit 307 last year, but I think three-quarters of the way through the season, it was well below the 300s, and I think he hit near 500 down the stretch to get that over 300. So I think that's another name you can consider with uh, Zach Jankarski, Marty Costas, um, and your pick over at Nick Dunn, too. Now let's go on base percentage because this is where I go with Zach Jankarski because he's got such a good eye at the plate. He walks, he gets hit by pitches. It seems like every game. It's not every game, but he gets hit by a lot of pitches. So I think he'll lead the team in getting on base. You know, you have the guys like Nick Dunn that walk more than they strike out, so that raises your on-base percentage. Marty Costas is on base all the time, so a lot of options to go here. Joe, start with you on this one. I mean, it would make sense that I might also go with Zach Jankarski if I think he's going to lead the team in average. I think Marty's good to, a pick, too, because you know he's probably going to hit over 300 again this year, uh, and he can draw some walks. If there's a base open, you might not want to pitch to Marty Costas in some situations down the stretch. So I think he can draw a lot of walks. He had uh, 34 of them last year, and that was tied for the most on the team with Brandon Gum. Uh, so you're gonna, he's going to get on base a lot, and I think he might not have as high as an average as Zach Jankarski because that's who I picked for the average, but I think the walks can get him over uh, Jankarski for the on-base percentage. Yeah, Justin, you talked about Jankarski last season, 434 on base, and he walked a lot, 33 walks. That was second on the team, but he was a ball magnet as well at the plate. 13 times he was hit by a pitch last season. So getting on base for the Terps, I think Zach Jankarski leads the team in average and on base percentage, but I don't think Marty Costas and Nick Dunn, those guys will be far behind. I think that'll be really the big three for the Terps this season at the top of that lineup. But Jankarski, I mean, you could argue he may, might be one of the best leadoff guys, if not the best in the Big Ten this season, just with his ability to get on base in many different ways. Now, I know you're not a big fan of this stat, Connor, but we're going to go RBIs now. And if we all picked Marty Costas for home runs, are we all going Marty Costas for RBIs? Ooh, I was debating this one. It, it all depends, too, on where people fall in the order. Um, I don't think there – you can make a lot of guesses for what the lineup's going to be, but I think a lot of it will fall on that. So I'm going to go with the safe pick and Marty Costas because that's who I'm picking for home runs. But I think if you get a good hitter in the five or six hole – uh, that maybe isn't Marty Costas, I think they could rival him for the RBI, but we don't know exactly who that might be just yet. I mean, it was Marty last season who came in second in the RBI race. Kevin Smith had 48 to lead the team. Marty had 46. But as Joe said, it's 
it's iffy because you don't know where guys are going to hit in the lineup. Marty Casas could hit second. He could hit fourth. Same with Nick Dunn. He could hit second. He could hit fourth. I mean, there's a lot of different RBI chances for those guys. But for me, if I'm going to give a leader for that stat, if I'm having Marty hit the most home runs this season, he's going to hit right in the middle of that order. It'll probably be Marty Costas. I agree. I think it's Marty Costas. I think we'll have plenty of Marty parties this year to celebrate. So we both have, or we all have, uh, Costas for home runs and RBIs. Now let's go to the pitching side of things. Last year, uh, the ERA title for the team, you, you know, kind of went to Brian Schaefer because he had more innings than anyone else, and he had such a p- tremendous year. But for anybody who saw, let's say, legitimate innings, John Murphy had the best ERA, well under two. So this year, uh, I mean, this is a f- tough way to phrase a question, but among people who we think will have, let's say, more than 20 innings. Who finishes with the best earned run average? I mean, I'm a big John Murphy fan. Seeing what he did in the postseason last year, I mean, he could come into a game multiple times in the postseason, bases loaded, no outs, and by the NCAA tournament, you almost felt comfortable with Murphy coming into that position, getting a lot of strikeouts and getting out with that ERA. So I think the Terps, it'll be an interesting bullpen this season to see where guys fall into place, but I do think Murphy will kind of be on the back end of that bullpen but the other thing about John Murphy he's had some starts in high school starts in his Terps career so he can go more than one inning and I think it'll be close I think Tyler Blome could have a shot at the ERA title but it's our it's always a little bit easier for the relievers they'll pitch less innings so I am going to go John Murphy Connor really should have shared his picks with me before this because I also (laughs) I also wrote down John Murphy uh Connor basically took the words out of my mouth just seeing how well he pitched with the bases loaded and no outs inheriting those runners and stranding them um, I think if he can get two innings, maybe uh, eighth or ninth inning, we don't know if there's a closer. This Terps team doesn't usually like saying the word closer a lot. Uh, they don't, but I think we're all in agreement Ryan Selmer was the closer last year. Yes, absolutely. We can finally put that to bed. I'll agree with you. I'll okay. agree with you. But I, I, I think John Murphy can replicate what he did in the postseason and carry that out through an entire season. Yeah, I agree. I expect... Uh, John Murphy to be, I won't call him the closer, but uh, the guy who gets the last three outs of a game when it's close. That's what I expect John Murphy to do. Maybe more than three outs, and I I have to agree with you guys. I think he'll end up leading the team in ERA, and who knows, maybe a big year from Murph, and he could hear his name called in June. He's very projectable. He's a, got a really good body, athletic for a pitcher. He's dropped weight since he got to Maryland, throws hard, good fastball, good breaking ball. So he's somebody to look out for on those draft boards if he can replicate and maybe even improve on the season he had last year. Now let's go to another one of Connor's favorite stats, wins. And I think this is basically just a discussion of Blome or Bloom. I'm going to pass on this one. I can't answer this question. Okay, well, let's do it this way. Maybe a way you'll like more. How, which, between Tyler Bloom and Taylor Bloom, okay, the games they start, Maryland will have a better record in games started by Bloom or Bloom. Well, I think Bloom eventually will start Saturdays, which means the Terps will be facing a number two instead of a number one. And there's some pretty good number ones the Terps are going to face both in and outside of Big Ten play. So, I'll give you a bloom for the answer on this one, but I'm not happy about answering this question. Joe, you can answer it either way you want. I wrote down bloom. It, it's going to depend for me on who more consistently starts Friday night versus Saturday night because when you lose a Brian Schaefer, you need someone that could go out and get you a win on Friday night. And there's some good aces, uh, not just out of conference schedule, but in the Big Ten too that the Terps will have to face. So it might be harder for the Friday night starter to earn a win, which might mean 
for me that the Saturday guy will end up having more wins. So right now I have Tyler Blome just because I think he's going to be the Saturday starter. As of now, obviously none of us really know that, but uh, I'm going to go with him. He led the team in wins last year, and it's not the most telling stat always because you can pitch poorly and still get a win, like which why Connor doesn't like the stat. Uh, but I'm going Tyler Blome as of now. I'm going to agree with Connor. I'm going to go Blome. I just think that he's so experienced at this point, and according to Coach Corey Muscara, the new pitching coach for Maryland, uh, Bloom's made even more improvements this year, and he's built on what he's learned the last three years. And I just think he has the experience, and the Terps are just going to get a, a lot of wins when he's on the mound. But I think that one could certainly go either way. Now, I didn't, I gave you guys these questions ahead of time. I did not give you this question because, Great. well, I just thought of it. So, first series of the season, February 16, 17, 18. Who's starting Friday, Saturday, Sunday for Maryland? And then the final weekend series of the season in Bloomington against Indiana, who starts Friday, Saturday, Sunday for Maryland? Well, on a previous podcast, you asked me this question, but just about the Friday night starter for Tennessee. And I said Taylor Bloom because of the experience. Now, I know Bloom had a better season last year, Big Ten freshman of the year, but I just think with the experience, you're going on the road against an SEC school. I know Tennessee isn't at the top of the SEC baseball-wise, but you're going on the road to start the season. I think Bloom will start Friday. That slots Bloom into Saturday. And then, of course, the big question for Maryland is who gets that Sunday start. And to me, to start the season Maybe you go with the experience again, and I just have a feeling that the Terps may trot Hunter Parsons out there for the Sunday game against Tennessee. And then you asked me at the end of the season in Bloomington, I think it flip-flops Friday-Saturday. I think Bloom's your Friday starter. Bloom is your Saturday starter. And like we saw last season, you really have no idea who was coming out for that midweek start last year, but you had Schaefer, Bloom, and Bloom on the weekends. Now with Schaefer gone... You don't really know who's going to slot into that third guy. I'm going to take a stab and say Alec Tui gets that Sunday start in Bloomington, but I really have no idea. I don't think any of us have any sort of idea who could get that start. For Tennessee, I'm going to agree with uh, Bloom on Friday night with the experience. I, I, I'd i be surprised if he wasn't out there on Friday night. Uh, Bloom on Saturday. Um, I also would think Parsons would get the first Sunday start for the experience, but who knows what has really happened in this offseason. New pitching coach, too, who's been uh, responding well with Muscara. Uh, so we don't really know that Sunday role yet. And I wouldn't be surprised if this Sunday starter changed a lot throughout the season. Um, and we'll see who starts that final Sunday in Indiana. I also would not know. As for the Friday night, Saturday night, I think Bloom, I think Bloom will take the Friday night for most of the season and Bloom on Saturday. Interesting. So Joe thinks uh... – the two Friday, Saturday stick the whole year. Connor thinks they flip, and uh, Joe just flat out not giving an answer. I would like a question. I would like a hot take though, Joe. <laughs> we I mean, we got some, there's some arms on the roster. I know a lot of them are freshmen. We haven't really proved themselves at all, but there's there's names. We got there's people on the team for what for the Sunday starter in Bloomington. Oh, I, it I, could be Justin Galanti. You never know. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it can be. Uh, maybe it could be. I don't know, but. Uh, Answering Justin Galanti would be better than the answer you just gave. So we're going to need something. Oh, my goodness. Are you sure it's not you? Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, I like Connor's Tui pick. He's going to steal it. That's fine. I mean, that's who I was going to say, and I've been agreeing with you all podcast, so I thought I needed to change it up a little bit. Um, I mean, I don't know. Tui or your Parsons not a bad idea. I mean, Ryan Hill's gotten some, uh, some starts last year, so if you want to go really hot take, maybe – 
Um, they need a guy last series of the season for maybe big before the Big Ten tournament. And you need to throw Ryan Hill out there because of the, how the arms are feeling and health-wise. So I'll go hot take Ryan Hill. So I am going to agree with both of you that it goes bloom, bloom Friday, Saturday uh, in Tennessee. And then Sunday, I also agree. I think Hunter Parsons gets that first Sunday start. Now, I think Connor and I have had this discussion on the podcast, and Joe and I have had this discussion off the podcast. But I think if Maryland is going to go where it wants to this year, Tyler Blome is going to have to develop into a not only good but potentially great Friday night starter, maybe not to the level of Brian Schaefer, but he has to be someone that you're confident putting out there every Friday night. So I think uh, maybe thinking positively, Tyler Blome will start the Friday game in Indiana, then we go Bloom on Sunday. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Hunter Parsons sticks. Uh, he had an impressive fall and I think he'll stick as the Sunday starter. If he doesn't, my pick two is going to be Elliot Zollner. He was very, very good in the fall as well, and uh, after struggling in one appearance last year, I think he's somebody who could be a breakout player for the Terps, and that segues into our next question. Who do we think will be the breakout returner for Maryland this year? So no newcomers involved in this question. The breakout returner... I like where you went with that final Sunday starter possibility. Elliot Zollner was bringing the heat in fall ball for the Terps. I, I don't know how many starts he'll get. We could see him, I think, a couple times in the midweek. But I think the best spot for him right now could be in that Terps bullpen, which I think has a lot of questions. Out of any part on this team in 2018, I think the bullpen has the most questions for Maryland. I think Elliot Zollner could slot himself into that pen somewhere, along with kind of Murphy and Ryan Hill being the names coming out of the pen. But you got to have other guys eating up innings, and I think Zollner could be a guy who plays in that fifth, sixth, seventh inning role. He can give you a couple innings, and maybe if you get a bad midweek start, Zollner's a guy who, like Ryan Hill last season, can come in and bridge the gap from the fourth to the sixth or seventh and get another reliever in there. We're on breakout returning player? Yes. Correct. Will, um, will we get an answer from Joe <laughs> yeah, this we'll, time? Well, Connor, Connor screwed me up there because uh, before the podcast, he said he was going with Justin Morris here and then switched it up on me, so I got confused. I'm going Justin Morris, though, because we were agreeing with this before. Um, I think he had a very good end of the season and summer with the Bethesda big train. Uh, he had the ability to hit the long ball, uh, too. So um, I think he can really have a breakout year um, and can play uh, more innings and hit for better average down at the bottom of the lineup and kind of be a spark plug for the bottom of the lineup that was very good for the Terps all last season. Yeah, I think there are kind of two schools of thought about the Maryland catcher position. On the one hand, people saw what Justin Morris did this summer and at the end of last season, and they think and those people think that he'll hold down that spot really for the entire year. And then on the other side, you have the people who are excited about Ty Friedrich and Justin Vogt, and you think maybe there's a three-man rotation there in some capacity. So we'll see how that goes. I'm surprised nobody picked who I'm going to pick. It's Kevin Biondic. I mean, basically just a defensive replacement last year. And he had, as some of the coaches said, the best fall they've ever seen. He's also now a two-way player between pitching and playing first base. And based on the sheer number or basically small number of pitchers that Maryland has, Biondic is in all likelihood going to see some time and see some legitimate time on the mound. So I think Kevin Biondic uh, will be my breakout player. Now let's go newcomer. I'll go first on this one. Mine will be Taylor Wright, uh, a community college transfer. I think that he ends up starting at third base throughout the season for Maryland. I think A.J. Leal moved to shortstop, and I think Taylor Wright, uh, maybe just because he's going to get the mo most playing time as, in my guess, a full-time starter, I think he'll be the biggest 
or the most impactful newcomer for the Terps. Yeah, I like that pick. I mean, Brad Barnett, another possibility over there third, who's also another newcomer. But like I said, A.J. Lee, he basically played almost the entire summer at shortstop with the Baltimore Redbirds. It's basically a an easy transition for him from third to short. So third base will be the position that's a little bit more open this spring. But for a key newcomer, you mentioned his name a couple of minutes ago. I think Justin Morris will get the majority of the starts behind the plate. But from what I saw from Justin Vote in fall practice – I think there's a good chance this guy could be slotted in there for at the DH role. Great first lo- names on those two. Yeah, good first names right there. Justin Vote, Justin Morris, and Justin Galanti here in the booth with us. But I think Justin Vote is definitely a candidate to be the DH for the Terps this season. He can hit the ball a long way, and it might be a learning cur- curve for him. He's a freshman, and he may not get to catch, obviously, as much as he wants to. But that's a breakout player that I think the Terps – could really see and maybe they don't even need him if you have a guy like Biondic hitting well Will Watson's DHing Randy Bednar's playing the outfield maybe that's not even a guy you need but if Justin Vogt could slide into the lineup at all and get some at bats at the DH I think he could hit some homers for the Terps and get some big hits see I wanted to go pitching here because uh, I know for the Terps their uh, depth at pitching has isn't as um, luxurious as it's been in years past uh, so I'm going with Alec Tui. Um, he's a redshirt senior, so he has experience playing, and I didn't want to go to freshman here. I think, like Connor said, he wouldn't be surprised if you saw him as a Sunday starter by the Indiana series. I can also see him throwing valuable innings uh, out of the pen, maybe even closing if Murphy uh, isn't slotted in that spot. And uh, I think if there's a, sh- a start or two that doesn't go that long, I think he can play uh, pitch in the middle innings too. So I think if the Terps want to uh, be where they want to be, I think Alec Tui is going to have to come right in as a redshirt senior and perform well. So I'm going to go with Alec Tui. Yeah, Tui, the grad transfer from Buffalo, got hurt last year, but was really good two years ago. And Maryland has some pretty good expectations for what he'll bring this season. So now you've all kind of got an insight of uh, what we all talk about when we sit around the couch for about 23 minutes now and just kind of debate Maryland baseball things. But this is going to be the last podcast before the season starts today. While we're recording this, it is January 26th. That means we are very, very close to February 16th, the opening series at Tennessee. So no better time than right now to preview that series with the Tennessee Volunteers. It's going to be a battle of first-year head coaches in their first three games for Maryland. Obviously, Rob Vaughn, Tony Vitello takes over at Tennessee after four seasons as an assistant and the recruiting coordinator at Arkansas, and the Razorbacks have had a very, very successful run of late. Tennessee last year, 27-25, and 7-21 and 21 in the SEC. So, yes, that means you're at the bottom of the SEC, but it also means that they were just you know, doing some quick math here. They were 20-4 and four outside the conference. Yeah, it'll be an interesting matchup for Maryland, you know, Tennessee is a team that you look on the schedule, you see an SEC team, you think this is going to be a huge series for Maryland if they can go in there, get two wins. That's an incredible start to the season. But also this, you know, since they've been going down and playing these SEC teams to start the season, this isn't one of the tougher matchups really that Maryland has had. I mean, last season going down to LSU, that was arguably the best team in the country last year, and they almost were able to show that they were the best team in the College World Series last season. And You know, the Terps didn't get a win, but they fought with the Tigers down there. And I think this will be an interesting series for the Terps because it's an SEC team on your resume and a team that could compete in that conference this year, but also a serious chance for the Terps to go take a series to start the season. 
I think it would look good, too, with a new head coach in Rob Vaughn to be able to go in. And as we've said, Tennessee isn't the uh, best SEC school by any means. But if they could go take two out of three from an SEC opponent, no matter who it is, I think that would be a great first weekend under head coach Rob Vaughn. Um, but even if they don't come away with a win, too, like last year they started 1-5 in, in their first two uh, weekends and then went 21-3 and three after that 1-5 start. Uh, so is it important to start off on a good note against an SEC team? Yes. Um, is it absolutely necessary? Maybe not because they went 23-1 and one after their first f six games, well, which they started 1-5. But it's a definitely a much better series uh, than the, what the LSU series provided last year because that wasn't an easy series by any means. Yeah, I think what we learned last year is no matter what happens down in Knoxville, don't panic if you're a Maryland fan. On the other hand, this is my opinion, and I'll – obviously ask you guys right now what you think. I think this series is important because I don't know how Maryland's strength of schedule is going to look at the end of the year. If you're looking forward already to the NCAA tournament, which we do, I'm sure the players and the coaching staff are not, but you know, as prognosticators or whatever, that's something we like to do. Um, I, I would worry a little bit potentially if Maryland, let's say, goes down and gets swept to Tennessee, you know, how many potential quality NCAA tournament teams are on Maryland's schedule this year? Yeah, um, when I was looking at the initial schedule release, I think of the 20-something opponents they will face this year, I think only six or seven of them made last year's tournament. So they don't have many chances to beat teams uh, that were in the tournament last year. Uh, and in the first preseason rankings I saw for the Big Ten, only Indiana cracked the top 25. So the Big Ten, not the best baseball conference, plus the non-conference isn't that uh, bolsterous with great teams. Uh, so I agree with you in the sense that it's important to go take two out of three against Tennessee. And there, there will be the teams in conference like the Nebraskas of the world. And as you said, Indiana, really the only team that's made any preseason top 25 so far. But Teams like Nebraska, Michigan always has a solid roster. So there will be teams that I'm sure will sneak into the top 25 at some point this season. Maryland also possibly a shot to do that if the pitching can come around and they can put together a starting rotation. But as you guys said, Tennessee, it's important because, again, you know, even though they went 0-3 against LSU last season, you kind of looked at it like, wow, Maryland might have just played the best team in the country. So, right. you know, you would have liked to get a win, but they lost three games to a team that was definitely better than them. It's not the end of the world now. You know, the losses to Ball State and at the early in the season to start 1-5 and five was a little concerning. But against Tennessee, it's a team that Maryland, I think, matches up well with and can get some wins. And, you know, besides maybe some games against Stetson, which is a good team in the A-Sun, have one of the top pitching prospects in the country on Friday night, that could be some good wins for the resume. But besides that, the non-conference schedule, not great. You know, they got Coastal Carolina on the schedule. I mean, you, you know, you're at UNC, but... Not to be negative here, but, you know, what's the likelihood you're beating a top 10 team on the road in a midweek game? Exactly. And, you know, if it was UNC for a weekend series, then you're looking at it as a good chance. And, hey, Maryland could go down there, get one, maybe steal two. But with that one game in Maryland, so many questions with even the third starter don't even start on the, what, who the midweek starter will be this season when they take on a team like UNC. So it's going to be very important, not just Tennessee, to maybe steal a couple of those midweek games against a team like UNC or get a win over Coastal Carolina and teams like that to solidify a resume that maybe not even to Maryland's fault might be a little hurt come selection time. Now one thing that contributed to that rough one and five start uh, last year was the Terps 
struggles defensively on grass fields, and Lindsey Nelson, Lindsey Nelson Stadium in Knoxville is grass, while Bob Turtle Smith Stadium here at Maryland and many of the schools up here in this area have turf fields because of weather conditions. Maryland made 12 errors in its first six games on grass fields last year, 15 errors in their first nine games on grass fields last year, and in the same time period, 18 errors in their first 12 games on grass fields last year. So maybe that's something you look at as a concern. We'll see in the last two years against SEC schools and weekend series, Maryland is 1-5 against LSU and Alabama. But in 2016, uh, they did pick up a neutral site 10-9 win against Tennessee. But I think Maryland has an advantage in this series in two places. I think it's power. Tennessee only hit 33 home runs last year, and 18 of those home runs have graduated. And then in starting pitching, uh, it's either going to be Garrett Stallings or Zach Lingenfelter on Friday, Saturday for Tennessee, and then they expect it to be Will Neely on Sunday. And none of the three of those guys had even more had more than half of their appearances last year starts. So while there are questions as to who Maryland will start on Sundays, there's no doubt on who will start Friday or Saturday. Tyler Blum, Taylor Bloom, who only started last year, have tons of experience, even though Blum's only a sophomore, while Tennessee is looking at guys to step up into new roles. It's going to be an interesting series for Maryland, one of, one of the only series at the beginning of the season where they're going to have the starting pitching advantage, and you'd think for Maryland to win a lot of games throughout the season, it's going to be the bats they're going to have the advantage in. Obviously, as you said, the power of the top hitter for Tennessee last year, Jordan Rogers, no longer with the Volunteers. He not, was on The Bachelor, wasn't he? the quarterback on The Bachelor, although you may get confused. It's, you know, if you look at the name Jordan Rogers, especially in an SEC school, you're thinking, wait, did he transfer from Vanderbilt? This is, this is the baseball Jordan Rogers, but we won't have to worry about that. He's no longer with the Volunteers, but he had 322 last season. You said the nine homers, Tennessee lost. 18 homers of just two players last year, their two best hitters. So lineup questions for Tennessee. And I know the Terps lost Kevin Smith from last season, who was really an anchor in their lineup. But Kevin Smith went through some droughts at the plate last year. And the Terps really don't have a lot of lineup questions. Really, the core four hitters, Jankarski, Lee, Costas, and Dunn, all coming back. So as you said, the Terps, a couple of distinct advantages in this series against Tennessee. Yeah, the notes I have down for this game is definitely um, the players on Tennessee who graduated in the lineup, uh, they only had two consistent players that hit over 300 last year, and they're both gone. So Tennessee has as many questions uh, on their offense and pitching as Maryland has, maybe a little on their weekend starters right now. Um, I'm not worried about the lineup for Maryland. I think that one through nine can compete very well throughout the non-conference and in Big Ten, and the question's more with will the uh, weekend starters uh, live up to what they should be and can be. Um, so it's a it's going to be a good weekend for both teams to gauge where they are. Um, and I think Maryland really does have a chance to take uh, two of three against the Volunteers. So quickly, I, I think I know the answer to this, but all three of us expect this three-game series to go far better than the LSU series last year. Yeah, I think the Terps at minimum will take one game. And I think Sunday will be a question mark because – the Sunday starter at this point is still a question mark for Maryland. Now, we all kind of agree that we think it'll be Hunter Parsons, but nothing set in stone yet. But I think we know Bloom and Bloom in some combination will be going Friday, Saturday. And I, I think the Terps can take two of three from Tennessee, and obviously that will go much better than these last couple of SEC opponents they played in LSU and Alabama. Well, my answer is a little different because you pose it as will it be better than last year. 
Um, it should be in terms of win totals. Like they can go win one of three and have a better win total than last year against LSU. But winning one against Tennessee in a three-game series versus winning zero against LSU might be something to raise your eyes about because you want to go in here against Tennessee, who's at the bottom of the SEC for um, the past few years, and uh, win two of three. So because like we said before, when they went last year um, and played LSU and didn't win any, we kind of shrugged it off because it's LSU. This year, if they only go in and win one against the Volunteers, wouldn't be concerned, but you definitely want to go in and probably try to take two here. Now, the last thing uh, before we wrap up this podcast is last year, Maryland started in Clearwater with three games, went to LSU, and then went to Cary, North Carolina, and that's just very difficult to be on the road that much. This year, they, you know, you have the three games against uh, Tennessee that we've been talking about. Then you have a midweek on the road. But then the next weekend, you know, you're back for Army. Uh, thank goodness the government's not shut down anymore or else, I mean, Air Force had to shut down games. I don't know what Army would have done. But, uh, you know, you're back home pretty quickly, and I think that's a very good thing for Maryland. Now, I don't know about a weekend series in February in Maryland, but it's on the schedule. Oh, I've got some questions about that series, too. I mean, there's a good chance there's snow on the field at Bob Turtles. Well, there was Stadium. snow on the field in the Bryant series last year, and that was mid-March. And the games were played. Yes. So And broadcast on yeah, the Maryland baseball night. Of course, and these three games will be as well. But uh, if they can push the snow off the turf field, that's why it helps to have the turf field. Much easier to clear the snow and the rain and get some baseball going. But it's going to be a cold series. But as you said, I think that's big for Maryland to just come back. Now for Army, this is a southern trip for them coming from – West Point and coming down to Maryland to play, but I think it'll be a big series against an Army team that the Terps could definitely take three games from in College Park, and it will be a tough three-game series in Tennessee, but then you have the midweek against William & Mary, and then you get Army before the Terps kind of return to the warm weather in that Coastal Carolina tournament the weekend after, but I think, as you said, it's big to come back home, get to play on your own field very early in the season, and also against a team that the Terps really have a good chance to sweep. Yeah, under normal circumstances and very perfect weather, if we're talking more spring-like weather, it's definitely a series that Maryland should sweep against Army. Uh, hopefully the weather is okay. That's February 23rd through 25th, so God forbid there's any poor weather. That might mean Army might even it out. The weather might even out the playing field a little bit. Um, but it's definitely good to come home, even though last year playing on the road a lot early in the season, tough, uh, but could potentially bode well for them down the stretch. So definitely pros and cons to having this uh, early one and potentially very cold and frigid weather. And there's also the whole global warming thing. So there's that. Yes. So could that, be warm. It could be warm. We'll see. Uh, one thing we know, it'll be warmer than here, I think, in Tennessee on February 16th. And uh, we hope you will join us here on the Maryland Baseball Network for those three games down in Knoxville. Special thanks to Chris Webb for joining us on this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, as well as Connor Newcomb and Joe Catapano. Follow us on Twitter, as always, for updates at MDBaseballNet. We'll keep the countdown going until the day before the season starts. And look out pretty soon. We are going to have a special mini podcast where we count down the top 10 moments with the calls from the 2017 season. Also, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash MDBaseballNet. Look at all our content at our website, MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. And if you like what you've heard here, subscribe by searching Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes store. So for Connor Newcomb and Joe Catapano, I'm Justin Galanti, and we'll see you down in Knoxville, everyone. <laughs>